And we are recording on Monday, June 19th, 2023, 2.18 p.m. Eastern Time. Matthew Crawford has survived COVID. The Chinese tried to fuck him in the mouth. It didn't work. Well, kind of worked. They got him, but he survived. So, hero- oh, yeah, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, well, he, he was just telling me before before you showed up that uh, the Chinese tried to take him out. Well, I, I think it was COVID. I, I assume that it was. I, I never actually uh, took a test because as it got started, uh, I just, you know, I had Omicron last year and it wasn't that bad and, you know, used medicine early and all that kind of stuff. And so I started to get something like a, you know, cold or flu and uh, didn't take medicine at first. I was just like, oh, you know, I, I, I was I was tired. I wasn't thinking too much, just groggy. Mm-hmm. I, actually, I did take medicine. I took, you know, symptom killers, throat spray, um, uh, whatever my wife gave me, uh, <laughs> ibuprofen. Um, anyhow, uh, it was only it was a few days in when I realized it was worse than I imagined and started taking, you know, various medicines. And uh, ivermectin actually made it just I mean, it didn't just like disappear, but the harder symptoms the I had um, trouble swallowing. That was uh, one of my I had two or three symptoms that were irritating, trouble swallowing and uh, my ears. And uh, I still don't hear fully out of this ear. I think I'm probably up in total to like 80 percent hearing. But I think I was down to about 40 percent because my ears were so closed up. And uh, that's the first time in my life I've ever had like serious trouble hearing. And that's a very, very weird symptom to deal with because all of a sudden you like, you know, everything like you, you can tap your head and feel it like it's from the inside. Uh. And, you know, I, I don't know. I went through, uh, so, I, I guess, gone through a couple of weeks of, of recovering from that and putting olive oil in my ears and all that fun stuff. Anthony Fauci told me ivermectin doesn't work, so I need to know right now, are you intentionally spreading misinformation, Mr. Crawford? <laughs> are you trying to kill my grandmother? So here's the funny thing. I, I pushed hydroxychloroquine more than ivermectin, and that's because I read over 200 hydroxychloroquine papers. And so like when Pierre Corey would talk about ivermectin or other people, what I would just be like, okay, I'm going to let them talk about what they know about better. Um, and not, I'm, I'm just like, there's no point in me getting into that conversation because they know the, the literature so much better. But here, here's what I'll say about this. When I started taking the ivermectin, I had four pills left over from last year. Um, I took one pill. Uh, the second pill I took right before bed. And actually, the first pill, I, I started to feel better in an hour. You just don't know. You know, it's like, oh, maybe maybe I'm just getting better. Maybe this was the end of it anyway. It's like day six, mm-hmm. right? Um, when I took the second pill, 15 minutes later, I heard my ears start to pop. Jesus. Yeah. I read your stuff. Yeah, it was amazing what you wrote. Like, and, unbelievable. And, and when I woke up the next morning, I did it again. I took pill three, and 15 minutes later, I could feel the pressure. You know, when you feel something work, you know, that's when you just like it, it changes your perspective on things. Right. Like you, you can read all the papers you yeah. want, you the testimonials you want. When you feel something happen that quickly, you're just like, OK, well, there's something it's like there's those, clearly something to this. Actually, I was going to go. I forgot. It. I was going to go. I was going to go get my thermos. Sorry. Uh, one second. Keep talking. I'll be right back. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so, yeah, I like uh, in. I think I'm about 90%, 95% energy. So, you know, it, it's all fine. It's all good. But it was uh, a tougher illness than I've had in a number of years. Where do you think you got it? Like, was it? Uh... So I, I, 
it's been several years since I've played much poker and a friend invited me to a new <laughs> card house. And I was like, I, I was like, you know, I should get out, have some fun, you know, uh, uh, do some things other than constant research and writing and, and all that kind of, yeah. So I went to, I went and played some uh, Omaha. I, I don't know if you're a poker player. Do you, do you know the games? Okay. I, I do, but I don't know that one. Texas Hold'em was my, my, uh, my game. Yeah. So I was Omaha. So as a statistician, you may prefer Omaha because there it is a more complicated game statistically. You get four cards instead of two. The board comes out the same way. It's flop, turn, river, you know, um, with same betting rounds. Um, but um, you have four cards and you use two cards in your hand. It's not like Hold'em where you could use two cards or one card. You have to use two. So like to get a straight or a flush, you have to have two cards in that mix or, or whatnot. Um, and it, it changes the way full houses are played also. Um, a lot more full houses, a lot more. It, it's it's a game of straights and flushes more than anything, but straights, flushes, yeah. full houses, made hands, you know. So, um, but there are all these different statistical ways to get it, right? So, you know, you have, uh, instead of like Hold'em, where you usually have somebody dominating somebody, um, it, you have a lot of like 60-40, 55-45 type pot situations and you're trying to you know make sure that you get the best of it you and somebody else may have a straight but you may also have like you know the ace nine of spades and you're you know you're right. to the redraw you know so you may actually trump the the straight that's on the board later so you know you you want to trap people in situations where you have like an extra advantage so i wouldn't play some uh i wouldn't play um like 20 hours over a period of four days uh and i and that's my guess is that's where i mean I, I can't think of anywhere else what I, where I would have been that exposed to get an illness, right? So I'm sure that I picked it up at the card house. I was I was going to say. Anyone, sorry, hmm? go on. No, sorry, go on. No, was anyone sicky? Like, did you notice anyone like uh, no. glassy eye? Mm. Well, I mean, it, it's a card house, so you know, uh, glassy eyed. I mean, you do have the occasional player who just walks in stoned. <laughs> 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 and there, yeah. there are a couple, there are a couple of those professional poker players too. I mean, like they, they've been in the game so long, like grinding for twenty years, that they just look glassy eyed anyway. They just look dead inside. So a poker house is like a dedicated place where you go to like play poker. I've never yeah, done that before. Yeah. So here in Texas, um, the laws have changed. The rules have changed. If you're a social club, you can run a game. But you're not um, like there, there are different rules. Like you're not um, paying a rake. You have to rent the seat, right? So it's like it's a social club event. So you go and you get a membership to this club, and then you pay for seat time. But you're not paying a rake, you know. So um, it, it, it's spreading all over Texas. So lots of car, excuse me, lots of card houses here now. There's... Ooh, wow! <laughs> I was gonna say. What you said about ivermectin, I realized the point wasn't nearly as cool as I thought I was going to make. But it's like these thermoses, the vacuum-sealed thermoses, where, like, they don't do any advertising. They just, if you ever use one of these, it just keeps shit cold for, like, four days. Yeah, yeah. I remember me and my buddy actually talking about stoners. We, it was, like, summer, fall 2014 in Georgia, and we had, in our attic, we had a bunch of tie-dye tapestries, and we called it the Zen Den. And we would just go get fucking blitzed up there. And it was so goddamn hot. And I remember one day, I guess he, like, left his thermos up there. And I went up the next morning and knocked it over. And there was still ice in it. And I freaked out because he had left that morning. And 
And I was like, someone's in our attic, you know, just paranoia from being stoned. But I was like, because there's no way there can be ice in August in Georgia. And he was like, oh, no, that's just my thermos, man. And I was like, what the fuck? And I was like, it's vacuum sealed. So I, like, got one for my cousin who got married that summer in New Hampshire. And, right, obviously thermos works in the hot and the cold. And I think then his wife got one. And now that entire town of, like, 30,000 people all own these thermoses. I've never seen a goddamn advertisement for them. But they work so unequivocally, undeniably well. When it's when it's just, like, swamp-ass hot See? in Georgia and there's ice in your fucking thermos for three days, there's no, like, the peer review studies. You're like, suck my dick. It works. And I think... And that's why mandates were bullshit. And that, in conclusion, is why Dr. Rose will be proceeding over Nuremberg 2.0 and seeing the the, the hanging of, of medical professionals across the world. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah. But I do know that when something's good... You don't have to force people to take it. That's true. People yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, like, so many, this, and this is the other point I know, is I have so many, like, like left-leaning friends who, you know, wrote me off as a Nazi trying to kill grandmothers because of the people I'd interviewed during the height of the pandemic. Those same people who privately would message me and be like, hey, dude, my, my grandpa has COVID. And I would get them, like, underground railroad i don't know how much i can say because i don't know what i did that was actually illegal but like getting ivermectin prescriptions for people and then being like dude that cured my grandpa's covid in like three days and like no i told you so i didn't i didn't like shit on him i was just like i'm happy your grandpa's doing well but that's the other thing that's how i know is the people who in one breath would say you're spreading vaccine misinformation would an hour later be like is do you think you can do you think you can get my great aunt some ivermectin and i would be like of course i can that's the thing and that's what i was thinking when you were telling your story matthew it's like when it comes down to like i i was you know thinking to myself when i was reading your Substack, like what would have happened if you hadn't had access to this drug that clearly made a huge difference to the 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 worser symptoms would you have progressed and when you get to that like when you can't breathe i you know i i've had that experience before there's not much you wouldn't try immediately to to get rid of that problem right like anybody who knows about what it feels like to not be able to breathe who has a chance to take an off-label drug will freaking do it so it's like that that's what i don't get it's like how come people can't put themselves in that position because i know that everybody's had like you know everyone's been pretty damn sick in their life i think at least once so like if if you could take something that might, you know, alleviate those symptoms or get you better faster, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, personal right. experience. And, and, and you're right about the, the feeling of like, you know, I'll, I'll just take something. Um, I think it was uh, day four before I, I started taking the ivermectin. Uh, I was having, like, I felt like there was something like sitting on my chest, you know, and it wasn't as wet a congestion as usual. You know, I've, I've had the flu like four or five times in my adult life, but I felt like it was like this dry congestion, like an animal was sitting on my chest. Um, and uh, we called, uh, you know, our, our ordinary telemedicine doc and he prescribed a steroid. I've never taken a steroid until now, um, but I, I, you know, took it, you know, thinking, OK, you know, he's prescribing this for the symptoms. But it was it was the only thing that he prescribed me. 
yeah. was just a steroid. And it, it kind of irritated me, especially once I started taking the ivermectin. I still didn't think I had COVID at that point, except, but I was starting to think, you know, like the first two days, I was just like, not even thinking too hard. I was just like, oh, well, you know, I've got a cold. I, I guess I'm going to spend a couple of days on the couch catching up on documentaries and whatever series I might want to binge. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm watching a documentary now, actually. On Chile? What are you watching? It's called America's Surveillance State. It was published two days ago by Mockonomy. Uh, I posted it on Twitter, so uh, you can find it there. But it's pretty damn good. Um, I like the one, the docos that have a lot of people like talking as source people, like from different, you know, different sources so it's for me that's more more uh more credible but yeah lots of snowden talk you know, one of the terrifying <laughs> things about the surveillance state is is um you don't even it, it doesn't even have to be fully real in order to have a lot of the effects that's that are desired by the people running it right that's the idea of the, the panopticon if you go back yeah. to like jeremy bentham it's like the the moment you you tell people they're in a panopticon they they begin to behave differently. I think to control their behavior. I think that's why they honestly tinfoil. I think and I thought this years before I started the podcast. I think I first started thinking it in 2016. I just vividly remember sitting at a stoplight thinking about it. That makes that's kind of like half the reason I believe they didn't fucking kill Snowden. Is it had the effect? You're like it's not a. You're in power, and it's like, oh, God, this guy just defected and, and told everyone that we're watching them 24-7, and we you know we know when the last time they shaved their asses. And it's like, if you're in power, you're like, tell me why that's a bad thing? Like, right? Right. Yeah. Right. I, um, and, I mean, I don't know if i go so far as to say that Snowden is a, a limited hangout, but, I mean, of all conspiracies, and I traffic in a lot of conspiracies, you know, most of them I don't believe in. All of them are fun. But that one's not that absurd to think about. I mean, think, I mean, no, I, I, think, I don't think it is either. Think about the cost effectiveness of that as a weapon. One guy defected. Everyone hates him or loves him. He goes to Russia. That's one agent. I mean, think about how much we spend on on fuel for tanks in a single month. That's one guy. And it changes the behavior of every U.S. citizen. That is like bargain bin fucking military industrial complex bang that's costco shit that's a thousand cheese balls for like three cents that's yeah why wouldn't it be <laughs> yeah and we know that the military industrial complex has spent you know many decades trying to figure out best ways yes. to mind control people yes untold amounts of money like they all obviously there's a ton of like pork barrel spending where it's just you know it's not that we're building a bigger military it's just to put money in the pockets of people but i mean if you actually needed some actual like shit that's what you'd it'd be like you know i was in a fraternity in college and like we never did any of our like duties where you're supposed to do like community service and whatever like we never did any of it nobody gives a shit you're just like yeah whatever we'll fucking go rake a lawn or something but when push comes to shove and like the dean is actually like you guys are going to get kicked off campus if you don't do like x number hours of community service in the next month you can you actually do see the power of like an organized structure put to work i remember my buddy kellen bought like he like he like put out some thing to where it was like if you go donate blood, I'll, like you can put your name into a raffle to like win a keg. And he spent like a thousand dollars on kegs, and we gave a bunch of kegs to like random people throughout camp. Whoever like whichever group of people donated the most blood, 
and it was, I mean, it probably was dangerous, but like we got more people to donate blood in like four days than that campus wow. had like dedicated blood for like the previous year. And granted, it was all done by like selfish reasons and greasing palms, but it got done. So it's like the military industrial complex. Sure. They're like fucking you six ways from Sunday and buying weapons that we don't need. But if they need to actually get something done, they can do it. And I think that's what Snowden was in many senses of the word. Yeah. And, and speaking of which, um, I've wondered if QAnon might I think be that too. I think that's a thousand right? percent of PSYOP. Right. QAnon, QAnon it, it's interesting. It, it, it seems like it's both a hoax and an operation at the same time, right? Hmm. Well, they're not, right? they're, they're not there exclusive. There are people who debate about it being right. Exactly. They're not exclusive. And you do have people in the military running around with Q pins on, yeah. you know, while it's going on. Right. Um, so, you know, QAnon uh, could be a, an operation to get people to have trust in whatever the military does that might be, you know, weaponized action, maybe even like taking over and running the government. My, my buddy Don introduced me to something I had never heard of until last year, the year before. Have you, ever, you ever heard of Operation Trust? No. I don't know if I know Operation Trust. Which one is that? It was in the Soviet Union in like the 20s or whatever the before the KGB was, the NV, NV, NKVD. They, they had a program where they would like leak, you know, through like these underground, you know, kind of underground railroad like rat lines to all these Whoever were resisting was the Bolsheviks or the whoever the fuck was the resistance to the new power. They would leak all this shit saying, don't worry, the military is in charge. Like there are good guys in this in the fucking Politburo. And not only that, come back to Moscow for like, get your new orders. And some people would some people just were like, all right, you know, the good guys are in charge. So they are pacified. Some people were like, I'm going to Moscow. I'm going to go fight for the good guys. And they were shot in the head. But that, it's literally called Operation Trust. Like, there is precedent for this. There's a thousand yeah. percent precedent for this. The Hundred Flowers Movement before the Hundred Flowers Movement. What was that? Uh, that was uh, Mao Zedong. Um, I want to say 1953, four, somewhere in there. Uh, uh, you know, in the newspapers, he projected out to the people um hey if you have a criticism of the government or anything that we're doing you know go ahead and write us and tell us we want to hear your thoughts oh god and so like a million people wrote in and he put together an enemies list and went out and just rounded people up jesus christ that's how you know that's how you get people to out themselves you tell them uh you can speak i'm listening yeah put it put it put your put your note in the suggestion box and and also tell me your name and your address like that's something that I've warned people about during, um, you know, this this, you know, anti-vaccine movement or medical freedom movement is, uh, hey, you know, everyone that you give your information to is potentially making a list. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've I've kind of just accepted that. I'm also kind of in a position where I do this every day. So I've I've made peace with that very early on. But, yeah, no, I mean, we're all on a list. There's no way you are not. What do you guys, do you know anything about this concept of um, um, unsealing a massive number of indictments that have been collected over the the years, decades in the United States? 
I, I saw this, um, it was it was more like a conspiracy theory e-documentary yesterday, but it had a lot of interesting um, tidbits in it. And one of them was about these unsealed indictments. Um, and I, I don't know anything about it. Do you guys know anything about that? Because the claim was that they're they're going to unseal them, this massive number of indictments all at once and, and do like kind of a strategic mass arrest of people. Uh, who are involved so i don't know anything about this do you guys know anything about from from what i remember from like the early days on reddit of of the donald is that has at least since 2016 kind of been an aspect of QAnon. is like don't worry they're putting right, together that's what i thought of it you guys were yeah. talking about q yeah i don't know anything about but i think of it now is like yeah no there probably are a bunch of sealed indictments it ain't of the it ain't of the Clintons and the Bushes. It's of it's it's of us. It's of doctors. It's of everyone that has ever said the government there's overreach of the government. It's people that post bad things about the IRS. You think? Yes. I don't want it to be yeah. that. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> uh, another possibility is that it is all the people who have done um, you know, truly bad things over the years, but uh they if they're Blackmail. in school all at once, then oh. it may not be actionable, right? You, you, know, lose, was, you lose the power of it. Well, you know, you, you kind of you kind of have to go after people one at a time if you really want actionable consequences. But if you have so many people who've done so many things, it's like, you know, how how do you really how do you really make rule of law function in a circumstance like that? So it could just be like it, it's information overload at the same time that it's um it, it's a there's a bottleneck of yeah. action. Right, so that's a possibility as well. It may have the opposite effect of it, it everyone effect. did something bad. Well, then it, no yeah, one it, did anything bad. Yeah, it may have the effect of telling people, "Look, you don't have rule of law anymore." It's it's what like, are you gonna do? It's the cognitive dissonance of like Bill Clinton and Hillary were on Epstein's island, and it was like, "Well, here's a picture of Trump and Epstein." And then you see people like, "All right, so given they've all been at Epstein's island," and it's like it's a wash and it's like no it shouldn't be a wash you'd be like they were all on this pedophile island with a fucking occult temple but there's this thing where it's like all right my guy and your guy were both there like let's forget it and talk about the new budget bill and it's like no they were all on a pedophile island like that should be frontline news every fucking day like ex-presidents went on this private jet and left behind their secret service detail and went to a a temple on an island by a convicted pedophile. And, and people in the government in the U.S. Virgin Islands were helping them get away with it. Yes. You can't. If they can fucking track down bank accounts of more than $600, then they can track <laughs> down this shit. This stuff doesn't happen without the, you know, either conscious or unconscious, you know, what, what word am I looking for? You know, nod of the government. You don't. This shit doesn't happen. Like it, the government's not incapable of blocking out the southern border. There's a reason it's happening: massive voter block, human trafficking, drug cartels, selling it in inner cities. Like it doesn't, you know, for the government. This, you know, they're evil, but they're not in. I know the meme is the government doesn't know which way is up. No, a lot of them are retarded. A lot of them are brilliant. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, the idea of military intelligence being a, uh, 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 what's the word, uh, oxymoron, 
Yeah. That that's clearly absurd. It's such a fucking like boomer Facebook meme where they're like, <laughs> like it's but it's the same fucking it's the it's the same it's the like the shit I hate where it's like people will spell Trump's name lowercase t capital R like rump cuz it's a butt or they'll say like Biden is by dumb. It's like stop. Like they're fucking yeah. you every way. They're they're surveilling everything you do. They're forcing you to get a a fucking a, a, a experimental injection just to go to work and it's like Biden wears a diaper and it's like we get what we deserve like if we're marched to a fucking death camp like we deserve like hey I bet this death camp doesn't turn a profit like no you're getting on the train cars they've taken your guns like yeah it, the the internet that we're talking over right now that came out of US military DARPA. um you know the mouse yeah Douglas Engelbart um, and, and all of these things are connected back to, um, uh, you know, <clears throat> well, uh, yeah, even before that, um, you've got, uh, the U S military working with cults for decades. Um, yeah. And, and here's an interesting one that I've been trying to gather information about and read up on is, you know, we were talking about mind control, right? Uh, there's the MK ultra program and everybody has sort of has, gradually come to accept the existence of MK Ultra and the fact that our government was trying to figure out how to mind slave people using drugs, right? It's just sorry sorry to interrupt. I'll shut up in a second. But even that is like a what that's not like frontline front page news every day. There's just this acceptance. It's like because it happened under Democrats and Republicans. We're like, okay, the Central Intelligence Agency kidnapped children and gave them massive doses of LSD and light shows and drove them insane to split their personalities so that they would become Manchurian candidate assassins. Given. And it's like, that's not a given. <laughs> like, that's so batshit insane. But sorry, Matthew. Yeah, so. Um... The guy, uh, uh, Sidney Gottlieb. Yeah, Poisoner in Chief. So, so there's a, a more recent program that he actually got involved in that appears on the surface to have nothing to do with, with mind control, but it's the remote viewing program. Mm. And this program has been like brought up just in the past few years, sort of advertised to, um, it, I, I think it's part of the, uh, the whole like, hey, you know, let, let's convince people that aliens are here and that maybe we need to unite under one world government or something like that. Right. Uh, a lot of the remote viewers were also the same people pushing, um, you know, the existence of aliens and, you know, maybe there are aliens out there. I think that it's all a, a, a big giant psyop, but you go back to the beginning of this remote viewing program and you've got, you know, Sidney Gottlieb, uh, getting together with the people, in, you know, who put together the remote viewing project all the way back in the days when it was at the Stanford Research Institute before it had gotten sucked into uh, the DOD via uh, Jim Channing and, and Major General Albert Stubblebein. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, Major General Albert Stubblebein, his widow is one of the people who does a lot of podcasts in the medical freedom movement, but I'll come back to that. Um, but you go back to the beginning of the remote viewing project. Uh, her name's uh, Rima Labo. Yeah, that's what I that's what I meant by what's her name. I can never remember her name. What's yeah, name? yeah. She she's the one who did the interview in two thousand nine with Jesse Ventura, where she flew on to the uh, you know, to, flew, flew to the airport from Panama and just flew back out. What's her uh, name? Saying, uh, her name is Rima Labo. How do you spell that? Do you know? R I M A O A E I B O W. Rima L A I B O W. Yeah. 
uh, um, but you go back to the remote viewing program when it was beginning and um, almost everyone there at the core was either one, a Scientologist or a magician. <laughs> What's going on there? I want a new matrix. What's that? You want a new matrix? I want a new matrix. It's like, what? <laughs> make any sense. I can't. Can, can you rotate me to the other simulation? You know, I, I'd respectfully Seriously, disagree. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm this, this, this timeline's kind of growing on me in like a perverse Stockholm syndrome kind of way. It is. It's so you ever sat down and watched a movie so fucking bad. And you and your friends are watching it. And after 10 minutes, it's like, this is pretty bad. And it's like, let it keep going. And then it becomes like a cult classic. Yeah, no. And then it becomes a fucking cult classic where it's just the worst movie. That's kind of where I am. It's like from 2015 until like a year ago, I was like, fuck this hellhole. And now I'm kind of like, are the aliens coming? <laughs> like, what are they going to do with Ghislaine Maxwell? Um, but, uh, Matthew, what you were, I've, I've interviewed, uh, uh, Dale Graff, who headed up CIA Stargate, the remote viewing program. Like, I think his email's Mountain Viewer or something. Super fucking cool guy. I can't get him to come back on, but, yeah, no, I mean, realize, realize bullets and satellites we were researching for decades remote viewing to the point where like guys without clearance were were like they were doing remote viewing on these guys and they're like what do you see in like this area of North Carolina and they're like I see a long driveway and I see like a small security hut and what looks like a cabin but behind the cabin there's like concrete doors and they're like there's nothing there and then like someone from a higher up program that even the directors of the program didn't know they're like yeah it's all bunk they said there's like a secret nuclear base here and people higher up were like how the fuck did you find that out and they're like what no no is that all horseshit of course i know i know you've said it before like that itself yeah. is a psyop is no it yeah. didn't work and dipshits like me are parroting it well it, it, we you know we know that we know that it was cultists and magicians involved yeah. in this beginning, okay. right? You know, yeah. I, I grew up in a, in, in a program where they were telling us they were training us to do these things, right? And, it, you know, it was all, like, there was, there was a lot of stuff that was very straightforward, just total dishonesty about it. Um, that stuff probably not as interesting to talk about as as maybe, like, where it came from, who these people were, and, and, and perhaps even the catching a few of these stories and contradictions. And here's an example. We've got Rima Lebo saying that um, that she heard a head of state talk about vaccine genocide. And I actually got to talk with her about this. Uh, she was in like uh, Doctors for COVID Medical Ethics one day, and she was talking about it. I said, you know, when did you hear this? And she said, 2004. There are not many female heads of state in the world in 2004. How many of them are going to an American doctor and just blabbing, you know, I don't know, you know, uh, global genocide, right? Um, well, it turns out that, you know, so her husband was overseeing, mm -hmm. Yeah, he was the head of, of military, so. he was the head of INSCOM, right? Head of INSCOM put there by Jimmy Carter, who was the first president backed by the Trilateral Commission. He's on a lot of the founding documents of the Trilateral Commission, in fact. Gotcha. Um, but you, you go back that far, and you've got a guy named um, uh, Ed Dames, I think is his name. In the 1990s, Ed Dames was on Coast to Coast Radio, Art, the Art Bell program, and he was talking about 
the idea that um, he he said in one of his re remote viewing sessions, he saw that in the future, you know, 20 something years out, maybe there would be this uh, giant failed AIDS vaccine. And that everybody would take it and get hurt from it. it it's actually it's it's really scary thinking about these things. The fact that, you know, OK, huh. go, oh, well, he's a psychic predicting this. Well, interestingly, we have Rima Labo saying she found out about this from a head of state in 2004. But why wouldn't her husband, who was Ed Dame's boss, why would he not have heard this? But here's the kicker. In the 1980s, I personally heard Albert Stubblebine talk about vaccine genocide. I eavesdropped on the conversation as a kid. So it's like you've got these multiple points in time when you should have this information. You did? Yeah, you gotta you gotta you gotta expand on that. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it's it's not gonna be like you know I, I can't give you serious details. It, uh, like I said, um, we had military people coming to our home yeah. teaching remote viewing, right, and testing us. Yeah, and for so, pe people that are listening that doesn't know you, you were in a cult as a child. I've, yeah, not, I was not called you. You were, you were raised raised in it. Yeah. Um. So it's something called the Association for Research and Enlightenment, and uh. The DOD, I think, um, basically just, you know, puppeted it, um, you know, put a hand in it like a glove. Uh, there's some conversation that I have found where Jim Channing and some others knew that or felt like they needed to project what they saw in California to the southeast in particular. And the Association for Research and Enlightenment was already in the southeast. That's uh, those are the people who follow the teachings of Edgar Casey, who was, um, you know, uh, a psychic in the 1800s and early 1900s, I think. Um, I can't remember exactly when he died, but he was making all kinds of predictions about uh, the future and supposedly doing like seance readings, um, finding out, you know, why it was people were sick and, you know, you know, writing letters back to people who would, who would have written them letters and saying, this is how you cure it. Um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I would just... Uh, I would hide behind a door in our house and listen to conversations where I'd pick up the phone mm -hmm. um, just because I knew that, that everything was going on was just wacky and weird. Right. Um, especially, well, you know, there was, there was a lot of focus on one of my brothers who was uh, a very talented uh, musician. I mean, he took piano lessons, but he self-taught like 40 instruments, Jesus. you know, by the time he was done with middle school. Uh, and I think that they focused on him as somebody who could be like a trained influencer from a very early age. So I would, I would just, what's that? How old were you then? Well, when, when uh, things changed when I was five years old and we did more, um, I mean, we, we always had like books on the shelves about like, you know, psychic, spiritual teaching, healing, whatever. Um, meditation, what, you know, my parents just had rose bookshelves, uh, occult knowledge. How did you start reading? Did you read from a young age? <clears throat> um, I read very slowly. Uh, I, I did learn to read at a, I mean, I, you know, I probably learned how to read just slightly ahead of my peers. You know, I, I feel like I was five when I was really, you know, like learning how to go to the end of the hallway. We had a dictionary at the end of the hallway and, and you know, look up words or whatever. Um, but yeah, I would I would pull you know pull books off my parents' bookshelf. Um, I, I I think I got a lot out of the books on meditation in a sense. Like that's a, that, that's part of the reason why it's one of my favorite topics and why I connect it to education so much because I do believe that um, 
and it's not just like mindfulness meditation, which is sort of like the pop culture conversation yeah. in the last 10 years, right? It's, I mean, meditation is anything that you do to put yourself in a state to learn. And, yep. you know, Jessica, I'm sure that you know this well, you know, like when you study math, you kind of get in a different mind frame, you know, you're going to be there sometimes two, three, hours get lost for me. Like it's exactly. one of the weirdest, you know what I mean? It's like, I literally, I can look up at my computer and three hours can go by and it's like, what the hell? How did that happen? You get lost. Yeah. It's like, there, there's part of it that, that's that. And, and, you know, learning like a, a state where you can hyper-focus without it being exhausting. Yeah. But this is yeah. what I tell people in order for people to understand what I mean when I talk about medica meditation is uh, incubation. Everybody's had the experience of thinking about something and then the next day or, you know, when they wake up, maybe even uh, waking up from a dream state or in the shower or whatever, um, the idea that was just below the surface of the conscious, you have any thoughts, but there was, there's one that, that, you know, when you have a solution that's satisfying a resolution uh, and, it, and it bubbles up, well, it was being incubated below the surface. You were thinking about it, just not consciously, right? So that's one example of, of many forms of meditation. And, you know, I always love pulling the books off the shelf. But anyway. Um, I was going to say, sorry, that's a, that was a great definition of meditation. I've been meditating every day since 2008. Hyper-focus without exhaustion. Yeah, well, I, I think the Latin root is meditari, which is to learn, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's not something that we just learned in recent times. Yeah. Like, like you know, we started studying Tibetan Buddhism and suddenly we were talking about meditation. No, you know, meditation yeah. is always part of educational culture. But <clears throat> I think it was I think it's literally one of those types of things that the rulers would hide from the rest of the population. Of course you would. If I was trying to run the world, I wouldn't bring up that's. I've no, always used meditation like a superpower. I do it before every podcast. It's how I get. It's how I do multiple shows a day. It's like yeah, I ground myself and clear my mind. And I'm doing something innocuous like a podcast. But I mean, yeah, if I was trying to rule the world and you know fuck everyone in the ass literally and figuratively, yeah, I wouldn't tell anybody about it. Sorry. Don't keep... let them know they can self-educate. Yeah. Don't let them improve themselves in any manner. But sorry, keep going. Don't do your um, own research. Yeah. Yeah, learn how to learn first. Yes. Learn how to learn first. Um, but yeah, that's why I'm asking your questions because um, I'm, I'm intrigued that you were a, you were a, um, a person who wanted to hear things without people knowing that you were there because I'm also that kind of person because you, you get kind of an authenticity or truth that you wouldn't get. I mean, some people will call it spying, but it's like, eh. You, I, I like the truth that you can find when when people are not aware that you're there you know like that's why i also love this expression always act like your mom's watching you because <laughs> it's like you know if people actually lived like that they'd probably behave better but my mom didn't mind that i spied anyway <laughs> yeah i would call it the chauffeur effect with my students i i would have students uh like say all kinds of things they wouldn't normally admit in public because they would just be in conversation with each other. And I was like, you know, I'm the chauffeur in the room, right? They act like I don't exist <laughs> for a while, at least, right? Um, parents experience right. this all the time. Like their kids will talk about stuff in the back of the car, you know, that that they wouldn't ordinarily hear. But it's almost Taxi like- Taxi drivers know everything about everyone. <laughs> I bet they do. Go <laughs> to waitresses. <laughs> Fuck. I've had 
some pretty interesting people come into restaurants that I've worked at in my lifetime. Um, and wow, you know, they, they, it's, it's kind of annoying because they, they think of you as kind of an insignificant nobody, uh, just a waitress, but it's like, no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> I'm listening to everything you're saying. No, it was intriguing. I could write a book about it, man. But taxi drivers even more so. Can you imagine what those guys know? Dude, you pick up. Like drugs. if I wanted to go up. to someone and find out something about what was going on in the world, I'd go to a cab driver. Really? It's probably not at all like a thing that they haven't done before. It's like bug cabs and just put them around DC or Moscow or Beijing. Shit, right. Listen oh, to a bunch of diplomats level. shit face at the end of the day. Like yeah, I can't well, believe we're in right. Taiwan next week. Was the reason why both intelligence agencies and cults like to get people into chauffeur and taxi cab positions. Jesus. Wow. Keep, hold on. Go, let's, go back to, to Stubblebine. You're listening behind the door. Yeah, sorry. I interrupted. No, no, I did too. I, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I just, I, I heard him uh, explain that um, the apocalypse would involve uh, a lot of people dying from a vaccine. Jesus. Was he specific about one or or what kind? Or Actually, the interesting thing is, I believe it, it, at the time that I heard him, I believe that he was talking about 1997 or 1998. Um, and so I I grew up hearing my parents refer to um, like the late 90s as like the end of the world. You know, the, mm. like the end of the world would begin. I can't remember if, if it was 1997 or 1998. I think it was 1997, but of course, 1998 is when the mortgage bond market. No, no, it was 1990. No, 1997. Um, not the mortgage bond. Um, though, though, that's that's kind of when the mortgage bond market was ramping up toward where it is now. 1995 was the Cuomo stuff. 1998 was the was when the Japanese banking system started to collapse and fold in on itself, and then you had the long term capital management collapse and liquidity crisis. Too big to fail, um, but yeah, no, nothing that you would really call the apocalypse yet. Well, the year two thousand mm. obviously had a lot of people freaked out. Yeah. Um, yep. Well, the, man, it comes back to this. I think I think you said it in a past podcast, Matthew. Is I think I said something along the lines of like, man, are like, are they whatever they the elite military industrial intelligence apparatus whatever the thing we all kind of know is there but can't put a finger on like the entrenched power structure the fucking transnational whatever are they that far ahead of us and i remember you just said unequivocally you go yes yes they are they are that far ahead it's not just military technology where they have faster planes and more efficient engines and better radar absorbing material they are in planning you, you said yes and it well, it does seem like that. In terms of population control technology, in terms of anything, any any power projection. In terms of power projection, yes. Just entrenched power structure. Be that population control. Be that growing trees in Arizona. Like whatever the fucking thing is, they are better. And meditation again makes you better at learning. Learning anything, organic chemistry, or how to do podcasts, it just does. It seems like they're just better at consolidating they're playing king of the hill and they're just so fucking far ahead of us anytime we try to get up the hill they've already covered that part of the hill with ky jelly like we just can't get anything going well they have the u.s taxpayer to support so much that but, they do right but, but even you that's part of it like, that is part of the thing 
if if you want to get a bunch of people going on one plan, you have one of two options: get them into a religion or cult. Yeah. One option: pay them money. You know, you want a bunch of people on a project, pay them money. Yeah. And you've solved the collective action problem with the U.S. taxpayer. Yeah. Man, I was watching this clip on on Twitter the other day, which means it's true. But somebody said about <laughs> about uh they've been planning for a war with China for which I don't I, I don't doubt at all. Uh, there's a a friend of this show who's come on who's a very learned individual, and his dad was in kind of like military, re- and he was talking about he as a he was talking to his dad, and his dad told him just kind of in a passing conversation when and the guy I'm talking about is like 60. So whatever, however old his dad is. And he was like, yeah, he remembers in like the early fifties working in whatever army procurement. And they were talking about how they needed to get ready, how they were preparing for a ways out for a jungle war. And they didn't say where, but it was like 15 years before we sent even the first advisors to Vietnam roughly like what 18 years before it really ramped up and it's like that's he said that always stuck out to him it's just like it's not they didn't just pick a thing like that was like a decade and a half two decades out and the thing i saw on twitter was like it was an actual video i'll try to find it but it was like how they've been planning for this war with china and there's this guy giving us a speech in front of all these military guys it's some fucking C-SPAN thing in 2004. And he's talking about, he's like, um, he goes, how much would we really need to defend the United States, its borders, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, $100 billion a year, and that's like a liberal estimate of what we could get done. He's like, so why is it 700 or whatever the fuck it was? And he's like, well, obviously, we just want more power. But also, he was like, we're not using all of it. He's like, we're taking, we're like basically almost like you're shaving off a little bit of your income every month and putting it in your savings so that if shit goes bad, you know, personal crisis, you lose your job, you have like a, an emergency fund. He was like, we're getting ready. He goes, and this has been our plan for the last 10 years. And he's given the speech in 04. So he's talking about a plan that goes back to at least 94. And granted, this thing's on C-SPAN, so it's not classified. So who even knows how fucking accurate that is? But he goes, we've been taking what, like 5%, 10%? And we're just putting it on the back end. Well, what's the back end? You know, that's 50 to 70 billion a year. He goes, we're, you know, looking for a war with China and the, and being in the Straits of Taiwan in 2025. So he's like, we've got 21 more years of basically saving. And it's like, he was giving that speech in 04 about a plan he said was 10 years old. So it's like, in 94... Are we gearing up for, like, what we're seeing now in Taiwan? Like, are they that f- fucking far ahead? It's... Oh, I think, I, I think it goes back to the early 1970s. Oh, God. And, you know, people ask the question on I'm the I'm going to try to find the clip. Keep talking. Sorry. You know, uh, what happened in 1971? And most people who ask that question are trying to bring attention to the end of the gold standard. Right? And this is why, you know, the, the value of the dollar has been in decline for all these years. Of course, it was a decline before that. Um, but you know, early 1970s, you have all these things happen at once. You have the establishment of the trilateral commission, you have the club of Rome and their weird Malthusian statement. There are too many people in the world. And (laughs) and you have the reinflation of China at the same time, right? These things happened almost simultaneously. Mm -hmm. 
And, and you know what, you know, what else happened is you have the uh, NK ultra guys come over and start putting together a team with uh, the remote viewing people, which, you know, they, they, which you had people from Scientology and uh, how weird is that? Right. But I, I think Scientology, by the way, is a military intelligence project and was from the very start. Mm-hmm. I do. Absolutely. In fact, Scientology, when, when people talk about. Do you think about- that they know though, Matthew? Because I would bet that if you're right, that they don't know. Oh, I, I, I'm sure that there that there are different levels of knowledge, just like there are in the military, right? Does oh, your average okay. front know what military intelligence knows? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are levels and need to know and all that kind of stuff. But um, Scientology actually claims that the reason that Hubbard got involved with Alistair Crowley, who is very often referred to as a Satanist, though he he was British intelligence, by the way, and I'll, I can come back to that. Um, but but Scientology's claim about Hubbard getting involved with with Crowley is that Hubbard was sent by military intelligence. Hubbard was in the Navy himself. His father was a naval officer during World War One. Hubbard was uh, what you know had um, command of two different ships at different periods of time. There's there's this weird debate over whether or not he was just like incompetent or something like that. But you know, ultimately, when you when you sit back and look at at his skill set and what he did, he he's somebody who would teach people how to captain a yacht in like a day, and they would go all over the world. Uh, he is somebody who put together the largest domestic surveillance operation in the history of the world. He had five thousand people surveilling the U.S. government. Really? And you want you want to know a really creepy fact about that? One of the unindicted co-conspirators currently works for Children's Health Defense. But one, you know, early early 1970s, you know that that's who was putting together this remote viewing program at Stanford Research Institute. It was Scientologists, magicians, and people from MK Ultra. What do you mean when you say he was surveilling the U.S. government? I'm still trying to Opera, find. Uh, are, are you familiar with Operation Snow White? No. Um, the, it, it may be best to just say you know you, you're going to want to do some reading, but Scientology, um ostensibly they were supposedly finding out what information the government had on them and possibly scrubbing some of it so they had people getting false credentials going to buildings they had people getting jobs in the government so that they would have access people who could literally like plug a bug into the wall and have other scientologists out in the um in the parking lot listening in to government conversations i mean like like we are talking very serious spycraft within what is ostensibly a church well, Leah Rimini, I, I I think she's uh, great. She used to be a Scientologist, and she like got really high up. Her mom too, and then she defected, and now she like tells people the truth about what they do. She's very against them. She says that um, they're very very organized with regard to uh, taking people down who are like saying anything against the so called church or whatever. So. That doesn't surprise me that they well it would depend what when when did they get founded like when did they start again i don't remember uh 1952 i think oh wow so it's the same same year mk ultra started oh shit (laughs) interesting yeah hmm Lincoln. So do you think the story that he was like, was this guy L. Ron Hubbard actually a science fiction writer or is that part of the. 
Oh, yeah. He was a science fiction writer. Uh, he was a writer before he went into the military in his 20s. He was, um, I mean, he, he wrote a lot, too. He was uh, prolific. Uh, I think he's listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as having written the most number of books, but that's sort of a debatable record, so to speak. There's a Brazilian guy who's published in a bunch of names. One way or another, he wrote hundreds of books, books, movies, plays. Um, he, he even wrote jazz. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, he, he wrote uh, a bunch of books. And when you look at his books, um, a lot of his books are science. And he wrote he wrote horror, he wrote suspense, he wrote science fiction. But a lot of his science fiction books which science fiction may be best called speculative fiction that just happens to have the modern element of science. I found it. Um, a lot of it is, you know, theosophical occultist um, explorations just branded under, hey, look, we got aliens too. <laughs> I, found oh. the, I found the link. I, I, sorry, I was rudely searching for it. Um, That's all right. Which one did you pull up? The, the, the China one. Now again, it's on Twitter, so it has to be true. But <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm aware of. of the oh, this is the guy talking about China in 2004. Thomas Barnett, U.S. Naval War and College professor and uh, professor uh -huh. in strategic research. Yeah, I've listened to him before. Okay, at C-SPAN. Um, fuck. How do I make it so it's a uh, window capture? Oh fuck! No, wait. No shit. Okay, I think I fucked that up. Um, I will because I'm a fucking because I'm an absolute boomer, and I have no idea. I have it capturing the application, not the window, and I don't want to fuck it up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna send one of y'all the link, and then give you screen sharing capabilities. Can you just open that link? I am total boomer right now, but I have it. I know how to do this with um, with StreamYard, which is what I use. I just but I, don't know if I, I know how to do this with uh... just somebody click on oh, the link oh, I dropped sure in the I chat. Sure. Yeah, because yeah. I I have I have it I have I'm I'm streaming the actual Zoom application because I'm using dual. It's a whole it's a whole thing. Um, yeah. I just can't like fuck it up. So can one of y'all just there click are on hats, the... tin foil hats, tin foil hats and hats inside of hats. Well, here we go. There we are. I was just creation of the Department of Homeland Security is another transformative event, but that's largely an inside job. We have to locate transformation within a global vision. We outspend the world on defense. We're spending over four hundred fifty billion dollars a year. All you really want to do is defend this country. I could do it for about a hundred billion dollars. I'm certain. So why are we spending three hundred fifty billion dollars extra? I will argue. We're conducting a transaction with the outside world. We're selling a product. And the world is buying that product when it buys our debt. Now, one definition of transformation is you have today's military capabilities. And what you're going to do is you're going to whack off what you don't need, about 5% a year, add on what you do need on the far end. And in 20 years, you've got a new military. But of course, directions imply you have to know tooth from tail. You have to have a definition of the future of war. I will tell you the dominant definition of future war inside the Pentagon today is the same one we've had for about 10 years. It's China, Taiwan Straits, 2025. So yeah. I don't wow. Know. Now, I, I mean, yeah. again, again, if it... 
if it was any normal conspiracy video, I'd be like, yeah, this is retarded. But it's just, it's the actual video of the guy at C-SPAN, right? So it's not like, my uncle told me once, so it's like, okay. But yeah, like, and again, you know, this is Office of Naval Intelligence. I know, they that's pop- what I mean. It's like, it's not nothing. They, they pop up, but specifically, right? Like, they're, they're you know, however many different, 15, are there 15 different intelligence agencies under the Office of... I think it's 17 now. Office of National Intelligence, cheese. Um, well, okay, that, so... That we know about. Yeah. Remember, the NRO uh, and, and the NSA and, were both and Avril Haynes at the top. Avril Haynes at the top, whose father was a Rockefeller University biologist who studied cellular death. Anyway, just saying. So, so Office of Naval Intelligence, um, probably, you know, people people talk about how smart people at DARPA are, right? I mean, DARPA is basically 200 engineers in a building doing really amazing projects, but Office of Naval Intelligence may have, like, the most sort of, like, you know, IQ times number of people there. People talk about the NSA. I mean, the NSA definitely, you know, tons of smart people. Office of Naval Intelligence has done more than people know. Um, the the guy, Douglas Engelbart, um uh who who basically created the internet the hypertext links and all that uh and and the the mouse uh lots of stuff came out of the office of naval intelligence um but and jessica will know this jessica do you know about the big um american um college math exam the william lowell putnam exam did you ever take the putnam exam yeah, I think. Gosh, I know that name from from it the was, math world. It was six hours. We would take it uh, three hours, three hours right? in the morning, three hours in the afternoon. Yeah. Six yeah, problems yeah, yeah. each session. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and if you look up like like who are the top schools on this? Like recent years, like last twenty years, it's always going to be like MIT, Harvard, Caltech, right? You go back, you go back like eighty years, and you know who's who's kicking Harvard around on the the putnam exam is annapolis it's the u.s naval academy yeah right like they, they learned that yesterday. say again i learned that yesterday when i was watching this documentary they were looking for a naval person that didn't go through annapolis uh which was a hard thing to do which would mean that you'd have to trains I, I don't know anyway I, i'm gonna get the story wrong but uh they wanted a naval guy who wasn't trained in the form or in the um the regular way because they wanted someone who wasn't indoctrinated anyway doesn't have any meaning because i didn't say what the daco was because i don't remember <laughs> right like pe- people people don't think of the military as having a whole bunch of really smart people but if you train people well you know e- each person you know um is essentially a genius and and this is there's actually really good statistical evidence for this which is like the the benjamin bloom problem from 1984 he showed that if you train people you know a little bit more personally in a classroom that literally it moves the entire curve to sigma well mm. annapolis isn't taking dummies to begin with i mean they're taking people who are you know hard working good grades um you know mental physical uh you know good mindsets and and you can train them well like you know literally we should be thinking about you know officer training schools at places like annapolis as basically genius factors we should think of them as battle school if you've read ender's game or watched Mm -hmm. the movie like that you know we should be thinking about that like battle school when we're trying to understand what it is and when we hear all this stuff you know fourth fifth sixth generation warfare and we hear uh we hear about mind control programs that they that you know, are the stuff of conspiracy theory. No, they're thinking in terms of mass psychology. They're thinking in terms of, 
being able to plan out war 20 years before it happens. They're thinking about things like looking weaker than they are yeah. so that their opponent is always underestimating them and not thinking yeah. far enough to understand the game. Yeah. And and are they are they employing cults to help in their missions? I bet that the answer is certainly yes. I wouldn't. I know. think that it is true that L. Ron Hubbard was not just some slouch who got pushed out. I mean, first of all, you don't give two ships to a slouch, right? Sure, he may not have fit in on the seas as well as he did on land in some sense. This was a guy who was very imaginative, but it was clear that he that he understood sailing, it was clear that he understood how to lead people, and he understood intelligence work, right? And, and you know, you go back to the 1990s, why is it that uh, Scientology offices were raided all over Europe? It's because the governments in Europe thought that the, that the U.S. military was using cults to infiltrate them. So you have you have Scientology offices from you know Germany, Athens, Moscow being raided by governments and pulling out documents that did things like link the Scientology to the CIA, right? And why was it that that after all those years, that the IRS backed off of Scientology, right? There was a behind the scenes negotiation. And suddenly Scientology was allowed to have its tax exempt status. Mm -hmm. I think it was the early 1990s. But what that, it's it, more than the tax exempt status. Once you have that, once you're an official religion, you can be promoted legally by the State Department. A few years later, you have Europe feeling like, you know, the new era of, of control and blackmail and their governments being run by cults being sent into their countries by the U.S. So, are we going to war with China in 2025? <laughs> um, maybe. I mean, I don't. I know, don't see how we're not. But it, it's very, you know, if we went back before World War One, would things look a lot the same? I think that World War One was pretty planned out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once you go back and see just how like the powers were like realigned, it doesn't seem accidental at all. I mean. And even the Theosophical Society that was started in 1875, that might have been the cult that was used to create World War One. that was used as a tool to help them. Yeah. This has been going on for a very long time, this creation of new cults. And in fact, uh, when you look at the Nazi parties, like history and symbolism, it actually matches up very, very well with the Theosophical Society. The Theosophical Society is basically, uh, it's, it's a religious UFO cult, in a sense. It started, it was started by a bunch of Freemasons. You know, a bunch of Freemasons and this Russian mystic woman who had, you know, married to learn that, magic and then traveled around the world. Uh, Blavatsky? Yeah, Madame Blavatsky. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I saw a documentary on her too recently. <laughs> And, and, you know, she's the one who that, that swastika into their emblem. And, um, you know, and, and she, she, uh, she, the, 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 the ah, excuse me, Theosophical. theosophists were the ones who had this, this, uh, lineage of like ancient races on earth, yeah. like all the way from like an ethereal race down to the Aryan race. They call it the Aryan race. That was like the last sort of big dominant race on earth. And they and they they wanted to be preparing for the next one. And of course, you know, Hitler takes up the symbolism, this focus on the Aryan race, um, you know, uh, this interest in Atlant Atlanteans mm -hmm. as like sort of the pre-Reich, right? And interest in Tibet, 
uh, it was Madame Blavatsky that said that, you know, Tibet was this conduit of all this, you know, occult information. And and uh, and Hitler sent some of his people the, to Tibet. On a Nerba society. Yeah, no, it's not a conspiracy. That's like an actual, like, yeah. sub-department in the Nazis of, like, a well-funded group of people that were sent all around the world to, like, find occult objects and locations. Like, this wasn't... Do you think there's anything to it? Because it seems like... There's clearly a lot of something there. There's clearly something there. I, it, who knows? Is it the power of suggestion? Is it an actual form of science that we haven't discovered yet? I, I don't know, but they're not stupid people that are pursuing this shit, right? You know, maybe we can look to no. science fiction to answer some of that. Uh, Jessica, did you ever read Dune? Oh, gosh, I'm ashamed to say no. I think we actually talked about it like a year ago on, uh, with Tommy. Um, um, I, I'm going to encourage you to read that one because uh, it, like that story is one of the, the better ones in terms of trying to match science fiction to possibilities of reality. And one of the factions in this future civilization are the Bene Gesserit, who are women who they are ostensibly a religion, but they're social engineers. That's what they're really doing. And they have their people on planets all over the galaxy. And some of them are embedded literally for generations. They're embedded there to help shape uh, the community and the history for their purposes that are, you know, plans that, that are set out for hundreds of years. The... Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've always looked at things like I, I, I never could get down with plans that went longer than the human lifespan because I thought it was this weird and I don't believe it now, but I used to up really up until like a year ago, I always used to have this mental hang up when it'd be like it's a 300 year plan and it'd be like part of the thing of like people that get to the top is they're also insanely selfish. So if it I, if, they, if they can't see it in their own lifetimes, why would they give a fuck? And now I look yeah. at it more as like, unless of course you're a true believer and you actually believe that you're making the world better for X, Y, and Z, in which right. case the most selfish motherfuckers are actually very much so. It's like just the same way as like your parents work for you to have a better life, even though they'll never see it. Yeah, you have people who on the surface, it's like, oh, that's just some bloodthirsty guy climbing the corporate ladder unless... He really, you know, in the quietness of his Manhattan penthouse has a room where he fucking prays to Baphomet. And it's like, oh, well, then he might be down for like a 300 year plan or a 500 year plan. Like, yeah. So why wouldn't we be planning? Man, I saw my, one of my buddies sent back to the whole fucking planning wars years and years out. One of my friends sent me this thing called the it was called War Plan Orange, I think. And it was this plan going back to, I think, 1901 or 1907 by the U.S. Department of Defense for what exactly was a, a war against Japan in the 40s. Like, that's 40 years ahead. Like, before World War One, they were planning out, like, the island hopping campaign to fucking subdue Japan. Before World War One, they were planning for the end of World War Two. I know it's not that it wasn't that advanced. It was more so you could argue that that was just a plan we took off the drawing board and we're like, hey, if we need to fuck Japan, we got this thing, right? I mean, I know we have plans to invade Canada just just to have. You always want to be prepared, but I it more and more so seems like 
so much of like what we see as this tumultuous, chaotic geopolitical soup that, you know, at every moment just seems like it's it's on fire and it's on like a unicycle going backwards. It seems more and more like, no, it's it's kind of being carefully coordinated and has been. I mean, I don't really know where, I, where I'm going with this. I, I think I'm just you know, in awe. It, it, it's a difficult exploration. You know, it's it's not one where you're going to have an end. So, you know, we, we always end up babbling at the end of this, you know, uh, could history be planned out more than we know? Um, there are a lot of moments that certainly look that way or could it or at least they're consistent with the possibility. You know, when I look back at um, why, why is it that China burned the treasure fleet? Yeah. And, you know, 1403, China has the boats before Europe. China has this enormously powerful navy with 22,000 mariners. That's half the size of the U.S. Navy, by the way. They had 22,000 mariners on, on, you know, what was referred to as a floating city. But it was all these different boats. Some of them were a football field and a half long. These giant boats, and they could travel, you know, India and Africa. They could travel all around Southeast Asia. There's even a book that claims that they went to the U.S. What the fuck? So <laughs> suddenly, in 1430, you know, two emperors after the ships are built. They just nixed um, it. Uh, the, he burns the boats. You know, the new Chinese emperor burns the boats. Well, why did he burn the boats? You know, there, there's a lot of debate over what happened. Some people say, well, isolationism, they wanted to, wasn't that part of it? Is they were like, fuck this global empire thing. We're just going to shut off the world. No, I, uh, well, the, the primary theories, one is this emperor was seeing more pressure from the West and the North. Um, You know, the, the Mongols were always something to deal with, Uh, you know, trying to keep China united was always something to deal with, right? You always had rivals, you had bandits, you had, you know, yeah, you have rivals, right? So if you're spending all this money on this Navy, then maybe you just have to go, look, um, we, we have to fight in the West. Now, I don't know. I don't know why they couldn't anchor the boats. Well, you know, I don't know. There's another theory that says it's because the rising merchant class was itself be- kind of going to become a threat. A challenged, right? The autocracy of the, of the emperor. Um, maybe, but I don't quite buy that one either. I mean, I, I think that that any civilization that's that's lasted thousands of years must know that you never win by giving up the latest greatest technology yeah maybe maybe they did maybe they did i i don't understand it it's also possible that the west could have been influencing that yeah do you put in your guy like the, there's all kind in chinese history there's all kinds of evidence that china did have much more of a relationship with the west than we're typically told by the history books. I mean, they're, you know, out in like the Gobi Desert, there's like, you know, ruins where you have like, you know, what, what appear to be Scottish men in kilts who are <laughs> mummified out in the desert, right? Uh, along this, you know, Silk Road, there's all, all kinds of evidence of, of, you know, much more travel from the West than is typically known. But the Terracotta Army um, that was built for the first emperor, you know, first of all, where did that word come from? That's a Roman word. You know, yeah. why, why are we talking about, you know, Dongle emperors and and you know, Chen Shi Huang. You know, like what? Why, why did why did emperor become the the concept attached to that point? The terracotta army might be a clue because it doesn't look like any of the art in China at the time, any of the statues 
Um, you have the shapely, you know, muscular legs where you have, you know, calf muscles, things like that, uh, it, like you do in Roman and Greek architecture, in Roman and Greek sculpting, right? Um, that you know, that doesn't look like anything going on in China at the time. A lot of stuff that happened with that emperor doesn't look like what was going on in China. He was like digging giant tunnels with vast, vast underground excavations. I mean, that's the type of thing that would go on around Europe, but we don't usually see it out in the East. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe there has been a lot more interplay between the East and the West than we have known for thousands of years. Yeah, opium wars. Hold on. I could keep very talking. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Keep talking. I could very easily put together a case that from um, prior to the, to the first opium war, that a lot of the West's interaction with China was mapped out, right? Uh, you've got the East India Company going over. It's obviously there's massive trade between Europe and China, primarily funneled through um, earlier it was the Dutch and earlier than that it was the Portuguese and Spanish. But, you know, the, the British East India Company saw all their silver going east while they were bringing back jade and tea and silks and, and whatnot. And then they went to Bengal um, and took over the opium fields and ramped up the amount of opium that was being shipped into China by 20-fold in order to recover that silver, in order to balance the accounts. Uh, but also, um, you know, opium opium and gambling was what it was that this new class of young rich men, you know, rich or at least moderately wealthy, you, you just never had that in civilization much before. You know, these, these men who didn't have much marriage prospects very often, you know, not at, not at the upside of the Pareto distribution, but who had enough money to get in trouble, <laughs> you know? So you have, uh, you know, large amounts of, of a guy, I think like a third of China was addicted to opium. Um, but then you have the opium wars and, you know, Britain picked a time when they were just so obviously superior in forces and just, boom, just leveled China and then did it again 30 years later. Oh, leveled China, took lots of gold, lots of silver, lots of silver. I, I and think that's why how became such a, an insidious problem as well. Say again. That's why heroin became such an insidious problem as well. From some something to do with mangling of the opium um, grab. Well, yeah, it, it was weaponized. Right. Uh, and this is the reason why it was that Britain yeah. took over so much of India. Like they, they, yeah. they picked India to claim ownership over specifically because of the poppy fields. Sorry, Lammies. <laughs> you, you got a cat yeah. with you here? Did, did you what? have a cat today? Oh, uh, was it the cat? Yeah, he, he's kind of annoyed because I'm not in bed yet. So he's he's giving me those little hellos. <laughs> I started just locking my cats out because I'd be in here, you know, doing podcast discussions or meetings with uh, with you and other people, and uh, and one of them would just paw at me, just scratch my arm harder and harder <laughs> until I paid attention. Should because we have done two episodes now where the titles have included cats. I think it was the profundity of talking to cats, and then it's a kitty coo. Um, I need y'all's expert opinion. As we come down from the very serious topics of you know multi-century plans to dominate the planet, and How about the cats who run the cults. Well, not only that, I was going to ask: should I should I get a cat? Because <laughs> yeah. so, no, so my my little my little brother lives a, a bit away from me, 
he and his wife have a home and a huge yard, and they have two giant dogs, and I fucking love those dogs. I live in an apartment in downtown. I can't bring myself to get a dog. I I would feel awful for. I see people in my building with giant dogs, and they're they, oh get a cat. Yeah, they take the dogs out to like pee on like three square feet of grass like twice a day. I just feel bad. Like I personally don't care. I'm fine with never leaving my apartment again. But I would feel bad for a dog. I kind of want a cat, and so I'm asking y'all's expertise. Should should I get a cat? Yeah, just get a little box, and they they take care of themselves. And uh, depending on its personality, you know, you'll you'll have a you'll you'll have a best friend, you know, who either loves you or hates you. <laughs> well, if, I, if it hates me, I'll just I'm on the fifth floor, you know, I'll just threaten it with death. I'll just throw it right out the fucking window <laughs> until I find a cat that likes me. But it might survive though, yeah, right? That's the other thing about cats. Yeah, I kind of want to get. I kind of want to. I was gonna say I would throw it out the window, but don't cats survive like long drops? So that might not even yeah. do it. It might just hate me more. Mine's fallen out two, three-story windows twice now. All right. Yeah, my my first uh, cat was a kitten that we found on the sidewalk that had just jumped out of somebody's window. Oh. <laughs> They're just somebody's just missing their cat, and it's just. Well, fortunately, fortunately, we we actually knew who who it was. We actually oh. knew the people up there, and they had found the cat, and were looking for somebody to adopt it anyway. So oh. we just took it home after that. But it was just like sitting there on the pavement, like stumbling around with a bloody nose. I'm just like, oh my oh, goodness. Well. <laughs> I think I need to get a cat. Yeah. yeah. You do. Yeah. Mine came from the trunk of a car. Yeah, I think I want to get one because it's it's uh. I have an apartment and it's, I love my apartment and I, you know, I do the podcast and the gaming streams, but it is, it is, it is just me. I think I want to get a cat to either be angry at or to be cuddled with, but I just know way. you're playing a personality lottery. Oh, it's, I know it's fucked. You shut much. the door when you do your podcast. I don't know how your studio <laughs> set up there. Uh, no, that's my fear. Honestly, I'm not even kidding. My biggest hesitation is this studio. Cause I just, yeah. I mean, there's thousands of dollars of, of like sound paneling and even tens of thousands of dollars more of equipment. And I just, I keep having this just horrible image of just like a cat pawing and ripping shit and me you, like you interviewing. You have to think about that. Yeah, no. And, and if you love animals and you love, you know, like petting them and, and, you know, playing with them and whatnot, well, your animal will get used to that. And when it wants your attention, you know, cat, people call cats like their own sort of psychopath for a good reason, right? Yeah. It's like, you, you, you know, you'll, you'll learn, you leave the glass of water on the desk. And if you heard a podcast and it wants to play with you, it's going to poke that, that glass, it's going to poke it again. And the third time it's all over the floor and you're going to clean up. Or your keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. That's... You're going to clean up six or eight messes in the first few months before you have like cat proof yourself and your yeah. home. So remember that part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I I kind of I kind of I definitely I just yeah, I just have this like image in my head of me like interviewing Dr. Malone or Dr. McCullough or somewhere and just halfway through being like one second, shut the fuck up. It's just scratch. <laughs> I'm already imagining. I'm like, what do I need to do on the outside of the door? Do I need to put like do I need like a nail or rug to the door so it doesn't make noise? Like Wait, what you need to do is have like a nice like wide gap between the floor and the door so your cat can reach under with his whole arm and have one of those doingy things I that stops toy. the door like boing, 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 so that your cat can reach in and go boing, 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 boing. and then i could maybe like soundproof that i could maybe put that in like a box so it thinks it's annoying me but i can't hear it i got a cat that did that boing, 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 boing. Yeah, it's that's a terrible sound i i, I want a cat i i do kind of want to get a cat 
I, th- I did see this like evil looking cat online. They're like these giant. They're like the size of you dogs. No, I saw this and it was like it was giant. It was like the size of a fucking lab. It was like a, 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 maybe like, it was a, a forest cat. Like I think it was a Maine Coon. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Those kind of look scary. I don't think I want that. They're docile though. Really? I think yeah. those are the ones that I've been around. Yeah, yeah Kevin McCurtain has two of them and they're they're very uh they're very like, you know, stately animals. And they I, they'll I, probably put themselves up on top of everything that you own that you don't want them on, but I, I don't think they they wreck things like uh like other cats might. <laughs> Maybe I don't, I don't know. My cat's really good. My cat is like he he doesn't scratch anything up except for his um his piece of wooden furniture here that I found for him on the street. Uh, so your your cat can learn too. Like you can teach him not to go into the room. Like my cat knows he doesn't go into my partner's room. Like and he just even if the door's open, he'll just put his little head in and look. Like he won't go in because he knows. Yeah. And then, like, I see my, my like, two best friends live together in Baltimore, and they have a couple cats. And it's, like, five years later, and they're still... I Even when we're playing video games, I can still hear on, like, the on like the background. I'll be like, no! No! What? And I'll be like, what? Yeah, we'll be playing, like, some shooting game, and I'll be like, what? And I'll realize they're yelling at the cat. They'll be like, get down from there. Get down from there. Don't you fucking... And you just hear, like, crashing and banging, and I'm like... <laughs> and then I hear that, and I'm like, there is no saving it. It's like you can't. It is a lottery. You yeah. never know what you're gonna get. No, you'll hear it like, in the back. If you get a yeah. what? No, you'll you'll. We hear do it. always end up talking. About cats. No, it does. <laughs> well, it does. Is that's and maybe that and maybe we are kind of answering our question there because as Matthew said, we always kind of trail off into who's running the world and is it like multi-century plans, yeah. and then it further devolves into cats. Maybe that is. Maybe that's not an uninterruptible f- <laughs> maybe that's not an in that's a great picture maybe that's not an <laughs> an unrelated flow maybe the cats really do run it Here, here's here's next month <laughs> is that your cat no this is a calendar that a, a fan sent to me that she made it's her cat that cat looks miserable <laughs> Yeah, you, I wouldn't be able to get mine in uh, in a little outfit like that. <laughs> you wouldn't like it. So, Matthew, your thoughts on this? Then? If it kind of seems like you know whatever's happening, like we never really have the answer until it's you know way over and we can see it more clearly. There's something about Elon Musk and his satellites that I just I feel like it's it's not whatever we think. I'm, I mean, I'm sure. It, does provide internet I, I multiple people that have come on the show use use starlight to download movies come on <laughs> we have also learned that jessica has been in a documentary black hole for a couple of weeks and it's it's skewing her her, her problem solving <laughs> capabilities but there is face value it's thousands of objects in orbit like it is the high ground like you don't it's like if you got a contract to build like the street lights around the White House. Someone might be like, "They're street lights," and it's like, "No, man! Like you're installing something around the White House. You have a clearance. Like it, 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 they're doing something. I don't, are they riot control? Do they have some dual purpose?" But when I see the, if you ever just look at like a a GIF 
like a simulation of all the satellites he has. It's a sphere around the world. Like, what is it? Do you think there's something else there? I mean, are they are they kinetic kill vehicles? Are they? Is it a form of Star Wars that you know they could swarm on an incoming ICBM? Is it a form of? Is it a suicide switch to where we just kind of turn all of orbit into a denied territory, including to ourselves? But it would just be a an unpenetrable, impenetrable shield of space debris. What what is it? It's you don't. It's high ground. It's valuable ground. And he's working like with the Pentagon. Like you don't get those satellites up there without someone in charge giving, you know, giving the nod. When it comes to satellites, the high ground is low orbit. Uh, Starlink is <clears throat> far inside. It's like a sixth the orbit of all of China's or Russia's satellites. Yeah. Um. My understanding is that this breaks uh, symmetry of information of communication controls. So, so what does that it mean? Gives us, it gives us the ability to futz with their satellite communications, but they can't return fire in that sense. Uh, and and understand, I do not like. Uh, I, I I claim no expertise about um, satellite warfare or anything like that. That is just uh, that's an explanation that when I went looking for this exact same question, um, I and I think that actually, you know what, I'll say this. I think that that explanation did come to me by way of a um, military professor of aeronautics. So it may actually be good information. Yeah, I mean, something seems up. I can't put a finger on it, but. Oh yeah, I, I think Starlink would be enormously important if there, it's if dual use something. It's dual use something, and not just in a. Well, the military could also use it as yeah, yeah. That's like the easiest dual use ever. Of course, they probably use it for communication as well as redundancy. But I mean, it just. I don't know. I mean, is it a way to get around like the Outer Space Treaty? Is it, or is it there to just fuck with your head, to make you think there's something there? Right? I mean, I don't know why I'm just assuming Matthew has all the answers to Starlink. Just tell me. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it, I, I I read about this stuff too, you know, I, but I, I don't know. It is interesting, you know, to think through. Uh, but this is not one that I, I know or that I, that I feel like I've, you know, read enough on to, to, have a confident answer with but i did hear that um being inside the shell of all the other satellites um gave an advantage in terms of like jammy communications but it would and i have no idea what it is either but i do agree that uh you know based on everything there there's 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 something else to it yeah and it's like yeah, I don't know. Like when you're talking about enve enveloping the Earth, um, yeah, I don't know. Besides the atmosphere, and <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it seems, um, yeah. Sorry, another documentary thing that was mentioned was this whole concept of space force, and I'm like, what the hell was that all about? When I heard that for the first time, I laughed so hard. I was like, oh my God, he's lost his mind. He's lost his mind. He's making Space Force. And now I'm like, 
wait now. What was that all about? <laughs> well, Space Force is the most uh, natural progression of, you know, people shit on Trump because he's Orange Man and he named it Space Force. But it's like from World War One to World War Two, we had the U.S. Army Air Forces. It was the Army. It was their Air Force branch. It was a force in the air. And then after World War II, when we realized that the bombing campaigns really did win the war, we separated in 1947. We separated from the Army Air Forces, the U.S. Air Force, because we were like, we need it to be its own thing. And then over the decades, the Air Force started to take over Space Command. And after decades, it's like, well, we're going to do it again. We're going to separate it again. So it's Space Force. So Space Force was the most natural thing. It was going to happen. It's so... I don't really think it's as odd anymore. Um, but I also think much like we didn't just start using planes with the invention of the Air Force. We kind of officially labeled it its own thing. To me, that implies that we've had some sort of space warring capability for a while. And we are now just officially designating it Space Force. Well, here's an interesting one. Why was it that the very first officer of the Space Force, if I understand correctly, the first assigned officer was, uh, uh, is his name Michael Aquinos? Like the church Oh, the of fucking Satan, Satan guy? The I Satanist, thought, yeah. I thought he died a while ago, though. Uh, I, I, I don't know for sure. Michael Aquino, uh, yeah. I know I've seen him within the last, like, three years on TV. Michael Aquino, yeah, he's a... He's a, he's a Satanist. He was a he's a he was a colonel or something. Um, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure he's dead. Michael Aquino, the actor Michael Ray. What? No, oh, is he still alive? Oh, okay. Never mind. I'm an idiot. That... You may be thinking of his friend Anton Lavey. No, 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 no. Michael Aquino, no? military officer, born October sixteenth, nineteen forty six. Well. I guess he is still alive. I thought he died. All right, never mind. You're, I think you're right then. So he was the first officer. Well, that's that doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the yeah, ultimate it, high ground is run by a Satanist. It, well, it, it's one more weird connection God damn it. between you know military and cults. <sighs> And the, the closer you look, the more of these connections there are. It's it's a little creepy. It's They're, a little spooky. You can't ignore them. They're too meaningful to ignore. No, you can't ignore it. It's not you like it's a Satanist it. and what is he in charge of? He's in charge of, like, you know, janitorial services at some military base. It's like, no, man, he's fucking heading up Space Force. Yeah, well, one of the most important individuals in terms of um, World War One becoming what it was was Alastair Crowley. Oh. God damn it. Uh, you know, he, he was a guy who was sent by British intelligence to infiltrate German Freemason groups, right? Completely took control of two of them, uh, the Golden Dawn and the Order of Templi. I, I don't know if I'm saying it right, uh, the OTO, um, uh, whatever that one was. Um, and, and that one, the second one, was the one that um, that the that Jack Parsons joined, who was, the, who was the founder of Jet Propulsion's laboratory out in Pasadena. And that's who Hubbard went and stayed with. When L. Ron Hubbard left the Navy, was he went and stayed with Jack oh. Parsons, who was part of this um, this you know Freemason cult that Alexander Crowley had had uh, taken control of. But Crowley, uh, when he had when he had uh, a, a different period of time, like going back to like 1917, he had infiltrated a German spy ring in New York City, 
And he was the one who planted the idea with the Germans that they should sink the Lusitania in, uh, in order to intimidate the Americans to keep them from joining World War One. And apparently the Germans bought it and did this when it was actually he was being a double agent. He was working for British intelligence. And the goal was to bring the U.S. into World War One. But Crowley is the one who planted that idea with the Germans. I mean, so like we have this weird relationship between intelligence um cult religion satanism in particular uh and and militaries and and war planning going on for a, you know more than a century this is not anything new and it's not even conspiracy theory like a lot of this is is history we're, we're just not taught it in the regular history books they don't go by the way there was this weird sort of satanist spy kind of guy BT not, not quite your james bond but <laughs> That's, he was doing weird stuff. See, that's why I'm growing to love this timeline. I'm like, <laughs> it's just such... It's just nothing was turned down in the writer's room. Any idea goes. Whoever screams the loudest, their plot point gets to be next. It's, it's And you know it's being written by science fiction authors. Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've often thought about that. Like, is the best writers in the history of man will never be known because it's all classified. But it's like the ultimate serving in silence. Like fuck, fuck writing Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. There's just some guy out there that's like, no one will ever know my work. But at the same time, everyone does because you're living it. Like you are writing the live action play of man, and it's like, but they're sworn to secrecy. But it's like the best sci fi writers will never know because they're just planning everything. Um, I guess lastly, and then we'll wrap it up because we're almost going for. Well, now we're going for about an hour and a half, and I know Jessica's dying of, of, of sleep deprivation because she's so rude as to, to live in a, a country that's not in the same time zone as me and Matthew. But do you think that... Wait, but can I see a video before we go yeah. that will make everyone... That's also pertinent yeah. um, to, you know, conversations going on in the Clickdarverse uh, between, you know, Hotez and, and everyone else. Oh, God. Um, Peter wait, I'm, I'm looking... So funny. Find it. I was uh, gonna say, just, could, could could Starlink be a mass projection system for Operation Bluebeam or Project Bluebeam, space based oh, yeah. like, projection system? Because the entire thing was to use holograms to make it look like, you know, God was returning. Yeah. Could be. What's the video, Jessica? Wait, I'm looking for it. No, I, I it's, can't it's, believe. It's it's your now now it's on you now. I need to share my screen. Yeah, I think I think I gave you all screen sharing. Yeah. Oh yeah, you did. Yeah. Wait. Uh, where are we? Uh, this one. Um, At least by emergency use authorization. One of the things that we're not hearing a lot about is the unique potential safety problem of coronavirus vaccines. And then something changed. Any vaccine released by emergency use authorization by the FDA is an outstanding uh, vaccine. J&J's vaccine has a risk of life-threatening blood clots. When you hear the beep, that's the sound of safety. So don't overthink it. Uh, they're, they're both really good. Vac they're all really good vaccines. Get vaccinated now. You gotta call now. If you wait, uh, it's gonna be really too late to protect your child. If this was your child, what happens next could make it the worst day of your life. So even though COVID poses zero threat to healthy children. Vaccinate your children. That's the right thing. 
Be safe and not sorry. I'm strongly recommending for adolescents to get their two doses of vaccine and fully immunized after those two doses. Advanced technology that can help save lives. This is going to be a long-lasting vaccine. Long-lasting vaccine. A few moments later. We're seeing that two doses is not holding up well for emergency room visits. It's not holding up well for hospitalizations. Everyone's going to need a booster. You need that third immunization. Triple the amount. Get that third immunization. The two mRNA vaccines were always a three-dose vaccine. The two mRNA vaccines were always a three-dose vaccine. I've always said this is a three-dose vaccine. I've always said this is a three-dose vaccine. This is a three-dose vaccine. But I'm not done yet. That third immunization. The problem is it's not holding up. So we may have to look at sort of innovative solutions to Oh God, not this again! Fourth immunization, oh, just just to keep them to keep them going. Keep the country uh, going. We have to consider some out of the box things. A fourth immunization, or fourth immunization, get that second boost. A second boost to keep the country uh, going. I've made that recommendation. A fourth immunization, but I'm still not done. Um, semester later. Unfortunately, the numbers are starting to trend up again. So the hospitalizations are up, and so the most important message that I have this morning is get your new bivalent boost. Uh, Willie and Lise were saying they got their booster, and I was like, oh, I need to get mine. And then I found out they, they're they talking about the third shot. And is that the bivalent, or is it the fourth booster, or does it matter? Like, Don't worry so much about the number of There's no wrong way to use it. <laughs> this bivalent booster. Or triple stack them. The new bivalent one is, is doing a much better job. Yeah. Yeah. You need to get this new bivalent booster, that bivalent booster for COVID. But does everyone ages 12 and older need a booster? The answer is yes. And by the way, if you're over 50 and have gotten two boosters and more than four, two or two to four months out, you're going to need a third booster as well, a fifth immunization. Hi! I don't <laughs> think we're going to need an annual booster like flu. Eventually. Dr. Hotez supports yearly boosters, just like flu. But I'm still not done. It looks as though the boosters are not holding up quite as well as we'd like. Um, and 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 I think our think thinking is going to change and that what's going to happen is every you know, a few months, we may need another booster. Each and every time. We just could not overcome that massive disinformation campaign. These fake concepts of herd immunity and discrediting masks. Dr. Hotez, you are a national treasure. It is picking off young people like Extremely informative. Disinformation that you're hearing, that kids are fine, it's nonsense. Kids need to get that vaccination. You healthcare workers have been our saviors. Watch out for that misinformation. Dr. Peter Hotez is probably one of the smartest people on this topic. <laughs> if you haven't gotten your five and up vaccinated yet, now's the time to do that. Dr. Peter Hotez, thank you for saving the world. They also support giving that third immunization for the 12 to 17 year olds. People have to feel safe. Dr. Hotez, you are a voice of reason. Take down the fake information. Please make it stop. The vaccinator went through this. Everybody's back. Oh my god. <laughs> oh good lord. I love the count. No, no, I love four. The count. <laughs> Five. One punch to the testicles. Ah, ah, ah. Ah, ah, ah. I've always said that this two-shot vaccine is a three-shot vaccine. Like the what? I've always, I've always. It's a four. It's a five. It's a. And then not only that, but just the people of you are the, the smartest man. Don't worry about the number, Tommy. Don't worry about the. What about the myocard? <laughs> no, you, you are. Know, I, I don't usually recommend that people fake their own death, but 
I can see in some circumstances how that might be appealing. Fake your own death. I mean, <laughs> dude, it's it's whatever's happening between him and Rogan and RFK right now is beautiful. It it just feels like this justice that has been swelling for 30, Do you 40 think months. Eventually, like I, I no. predict that he will buckle but he won't buckle for for the original people that were he was meant to buckle with like he'll he'll choose someone and he'll make it look like he's doing a debate but he will absolutely not debate rfk i think so no. well, we'll i don't know we'll, we'll wrap it up with this because I, I got another show in in, in a couple minutes is yeah I gotta go when, to when when i was in college my my senior year we had this small living room we had this shitty couch and then we had a cool leather couch and uh, we wanted to make stadium seating. So we had these like lazy boys. And then I had this idea of like, why don't we flip one of the couches? The bottom's flat. And then we'll put the leather couch on top of it. So we had this elevated couch like six feet off the ground. And we were arguing about it for like 10 minutes. Like, should we do it? Should we not? And finally, like one of one of my friends who's a doctor, he's a fucking genius. But he goes, in the amount of time we've been arguing, because we were the four, you know, big guys. He goes, in the amount of time we've been arguing this, we could have set this up, all sat on it, and then debated whether or not we wanted to, and then taken it down. The amount of time we've spent arguing, this just could have been done already. We're all like, yeah, I guess so. And we did it, and we ended up using the couches and whatever. It was great. The amount of time that has that has elapsed, just in the amount of tweets and interviews Hotez has done, saying about how he shouldn't have to go debate, he could have done this debate. 30 times over now because his original thing was like it's a waste of time but now now it's been like 72 hours of you talking about it non-stop literally going on other news shows and being like this is why i don't just, just go on just go on and debate you, you could have done it and that's the re- what i said i even wrote to him but then i found out he blocked me oh he hasn't blocked me what? yet i tried to how does he even know who i am i like, tried to he hasn't blocked me i when i had on dr malone yesterday i actually dm'd hotez the zoom invite and i was like please come on with us hey. he hasn't blocked me so i guess i'm not important enough ask him again like say look dude it's it, you can't avoid it you have to uh, you have to speak because you won't. You, you really bad if he, you do not acknowledge this on that level. You have to. You won't. Yeah. Yeah. He has all you these. He will? No. No. He won't. No. Of course, because he. He's, he's not stupid. He knows what he's doing. He 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 knows what he's pushing. I don't doubt the man's intelligent. He knows what he's pushing is horseshit. That's why he's smart enough to know. That he can't actually go on and debate. You don't this. think he believes what he's saying? Because he some might, of them actually. He might be so saying. delusional, but I think deep down, you don't become a yeah, as much as much as he does seem like a dipshit. You also don't become an MD. You, you, there's a baseline level of intelligence. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe like, he has an awful lot of titles, right? And sometimes, like I'm starting to wonder if people aren't given these titles. So that they can assume the roles, so that they can play the roles when those roles need to be played in a certain way by people who are manipulating them. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, he's the. Listen to what the people are saying at the end. Or you're the smartest person. You saved the world. You're it's the like, smartest no, 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 no. man I've ever met. All you have to do is have have a brain cell and be objective, and you can tell that the guy's disingenuous. At the very least, I mean, he is a creepy little gremlin. He's he's very odd, and I think he's doing himself a huge disservice. I think by... he and RFK should fight in the ring, like the octagon. And and, and Rogan can, can call it. Meet... No yeah, debate. He can bare knuckle, 
draw just blood. Like, no, literally to the kill each other. To the death. And then whatever whoever wins, that will be the new like vaccine. That will be the new <laughs> That will be the new medical rule in the United States. Whoever wins in a cage fight between RFK and and uh Hotez. Whoever wins gets to dictate medical law. I support that world. Okay. <laughs> well, with that, just this once. Just, just this once. Just this once. But on that note, we got to wrap this one up. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Jessica Rose, Mr. Matthew Crawford, guys, please go into the descriptions. You can find links to their sub stacks, to uh, Matthew's podcast, uh, Rounding the Earth. And um, I sent. I sent. Yeah. Deleting Jensen, so to stay, read my latest Substack and pay attention. Read the latest Substack. Don't be a Nazi. All the Jensen data that you can while it's still there. Don't be a Nazi. Go read the Substack. Go subscribe to Matthew's podcast. And um, I, I, I emailed both of y'all the uh, the Rumble link. Could I harass you guys to to tweet it or put it on your Substack or whatever so I can shamelessly promote myself and perhaps get a big enough voice one day that I can convince RFK and Peter Hotez to bare knuckle brawl to the death on your show on my show that will be the final yes. podcast it'll just be me cheering a big <laughs> you'll be ba- barely hear me everyone will be cheering as you just see RFK just like, we'll like the Thunderdome by yeah him, so me oh yeah no either. all future pro podcasts will just be like you know re remastered music over it yes yes no I think that's how the podcast ends is I just have every guest fight another guest and they all kill each other to the final <laughs> guest, and then the final guest fights me. And I know who it will be. It will be Dale Comstock, Delta Force guy, who will kill everyone and then promptly kill me. But that's how the show ends, is all of us dead. Um, and on that cheery note, we got to wrap this one up. Dr. Rose, Mr. Matthew Crawford, <laughs> guys, thank you so much. Till next time, thank you for coming on. Guys, please go check him out in the description. Please go subscribe to him, follow him, all that good stuff. Guys, thank you so Recording much. Stopped. God bless. Peace.